Hello, welcome back to Ask a Monk. Today I will <coughs> uh, be answering a question from the new forum, ask.sirimongalu.org, uh, which is uh, our replacement for the Ask a Monk uh, platform. Uh, the, the new forum, one thing I'd like to say for those people who are getting involved in it is that is two things. First of all, that uh, the content on the forum should be Buddhist. Um, so uh, I'm probably going to do a little bit of moderating or at least um, you know, posting notices uh, for questions that are asked uh, or answers that, that are out of line with, with the Buddhist teaching. I would prefer that, or I, I think I'm going to insist that questions and answers both be uh, of a Buddhist nature. Um, so, so we're not looking for answers from other schools. And the other thing is, uh, I'm probably, I haven't 100% decided this, but I'm pretty sure that we're going to require or limit the questions and answers and answers to Theravada Buddhism, uh, or or what is in line with uh, the, the sort of things that I teach, because Buddhism is of course a broad uh, subject. So this isn't meant to be, as far as I've sort of designed it or have it, this, the, my, the concept in my mind is that it's not meant to be a broad-based uh, uh, forum, so there's probably going to be some moderating going on and um, notifications, um, because I'd rather, you know, <clears throat> it's not supposed to be so broad, it's just a chance for a group of people who are interested in the things that I teach and practice and, and the sort of similar things to what I practice and teach, not just my students, but people who are into the same sort of things. Uh, in a fairly narrowly defined circle um, to to ask and to answer questions. That's that's my hope anyway. And I'm you know it, can, it might change. So okay, today's question is of interest to me specifically because I happened uh, in the car uh, driving here in in California. I'm now back in Moore Park, California. I'll be leaving tomorrow for Canada um, <clears throat> to overhear a a news bulletin uh, that Stephen Hawking, the renowned, renowned astro, uh, theoretical physicist, uh, has said that uh, he's, he's not afraid of death, which is a good thing, but he says that uh, he doesn't believe in rebirth uh, because for, to him the brain is a, uh, is a machine, is just a machine, a computer, and uh, he doesn't believe in rebirth, that's just a, a fairy tale for uh, people who are afraid of the dark. Um, yeah, that's the quote. So, um, because I, I think Stephen Hawking is a, uh, a very well-known uh, person and, and very well respected in his field, I thought it would be uh, important to talk about the concept of rebirth. So the question today, it's um, it's going to be, uh, this is going to be posted as a response to it, so you can read it up there for yourself, is basically in regards to rebirth, but it also um, touches on the idea of Nibbana or Nirvana, and so I, I wanted to a address both of these, um, these um, topics. The, the gist of it is that um, many people will um, <clears throat> not see a reason for exerting themselves in the meditation practice, 
um, don't don't see a, a reason to um, to try and change who they are and to try to uh, to, to work hard to purify their mind. See, the, the reason being that um, an impure person uh, can theoretically gain the same sorts of happiness and peace in this life, uh, perhaps even more, and is much more at ease potentially in this life than a person who struggles and strives for some uh, theoretical enlightenment. So, uh, the one the, the, the one thing in the question that I really think um, needs to be addressed is where the person, uh, I, I assume, identifies themselves as a skeptical materialist uh, or, or is referring to people who are skeptical materialists. And, um, you know, the, the idea that they don't take anything on faith and, and therefore these um, promises of future bliss or future happiness or future enlightenment seem rather shallow even the attainment of those things seem meaningless um, and the person even talks about suicide he says well wouldn't suicide he or she says wouldn't suicide obtain the, the same result so <clears throat> for this reason I want to talk about uh, the Buddhist understanding of rebirth and the Buddhist understanding of enlightenment and, and nirvana um, First, I, I've, I've, I've explained my understanding of rebirth in another video. It's a video on the nature of reality. So if you Google that or look up uh, under my videos, the nature of reality, you'll get my understanding uh, of, of what is the Buddhist concept of rebirth. And um, basically, and this also touches on, on Stephen Hawking's claim, um, we, it's not that we believe in rebirth it's that we don't believe in death so when Stephen Hawking says that he doesn't believe in in reincarnation or, or rebirth that's just a fairy tale um, because he uh, he sees things that from a very uh, empirical point of view he's actually going against um, both what uh, a meditator or a, a person who is who is um, who is uh, studying reality, studying the, the, the nature of experience, what they experience, and he's also going against uh, <clears throat> many, many accepted principles in theoretical physics, or many points that should be accepted, and why they should be accepted is because it was people, the people who, who began to, to study quantum physics, who developed these. If you look at the orthodox quantum physics, um, you know, people, people like Niels Bohr, um, you know, Heisenberg, the, the, the people who put together the, 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 the foundations of quantum physics, what, what they did with quantum physics is came to see that reality isn't a, uh, an objective state, that three-dimensional or four-dimensional space or space-time is, uh, is theoretical it's something that we we postulate we say that this exists we say that the brain exists we say that the body exists but even the brain as we understand it is only a a, um, a, a grouping of uh, of potentials of potential states that require consciousness require our observation without our um, examination of, of reality you, you can't even talk about 
this is according to the, 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 the original uh, orthodox interpretation of, of quantum physics. Uh, you can't even begin to talk about the, 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 the state of the world around us. So when Stephen Hawking talks about death, we have to ask him, what, what is the death of what? It's the death of, uh, what, what sort of death is he talking about? He's talking about the death of a theoretical, a theoretical object, something that only exists in the minds of human beings. It's something that we have created as a theory, and we can never prove that it exists. And, of course, this is the nature of, of <clears throat> material science. So, um, on the other hand, uh, um, from, from uh, or conversely, the, the, what, what is empirical is the consciousness, is our experience. So, when we look at, when we look at the theoretical world around us, this three-dimensional or four-dimensional space-time, um, then we can see things dying. We can see the brain falling apart, we can see the body falling apart, we can see something that was working together as a system no longer working together as a system. Uh, but all that, all that we're talking about is a theoretical system or theoretical um, matrix of energy, of, uh, of, of um, electrons and, and subatomic particles working together and coming together in a, in, a, in a sort of a wave and then falling apart uh, again and again and again and, and doing this in order and it's all theoretical it's something that we have you know we have built this science around but what we experience uh, in reality is is the sights and sounds and smells and tastes and feelings and thoughts we experience things there's the physical side of experience and there's the mental side of experience and this continues on incessantly uh, so, and it is also governed by natural laws, the laws of cause and effect, for example. So, <clears throat> when you, uh, in t the intent, the mental intention uh, to do things, to, to become thing something, to change things, to act and to speak and to think, um, ha has an effect on, on what comes next. It creates uh, the next moment. So, and, and these laws are easily verifiable by anyone who practices no, not practiced as a specific meditation, but one who studies them. If you study the empirical reality in front of you, this experience, right now you're experiencing things. If you study this, you can use this technique that I have been, been, been spreading, you know, where you label things as they are. It's not a subjective practice. It's not a uh, religious practice. When you see something, you say to yourself, seeing. So you label it as seeing to to uh, to straighten your mind in regards to the object that it is what it is. This is seeing, this is hearing, this is smelling. When you feel pain, you say to yourself, pain, pain, and you know it for what it is. Your mind starts to become clear, your mind starts to straighten, and you're able to see things as they are. If you do this, you, you'll be able to see cause and effect. You'll see what it is that's causing you suffering, what's causing you happiness, you'll see what's causing you to speak, what's causing you to think, what's causing you to act. Uh, you'll see the cause and effect, and you'll see that this is the way things work. So, to say, uh, and this is the catch, this is the, the, the main point, to say that uh, at the moment of death there is nothing is really to postulate a violation of the experiential, the laws of experience. That the, 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 the reality that we are experiencing right here and now, and the laws that are easily verifiable, if not um, codifiable, 
um, you know, because it's not like material science where you can put put a number to it. Um, not unless you're really, really, you know, really, really good. Apparently, the Buddha was able to put numbers on these things and say how many in this and, and how many of this, how many of that, followed by this, followed by that. But you can see the way things, the general way things work. To to postulate death, to postulate a moment where that stops happening, requires some explanation um, and requires a leap of faith, actually. So uh, this is a way of turning the tables on the materialists and saying to them, well, you're not the skeptics, you're the, the faith um, believers, you're the believers. You believe in something that is theoretical. You believe in a theoretical death that is somehow influencing reality in a way that is not, experience, not experiential, that you've never experienced. You don't know anyone else who has experienced. You can't verify it with anyone else, and you can't verify it inside yourself. So there's a belief going on there. You may very well be right. It may be that at the moment of physical death, there is a mental death as well. But that's a violation or... Yeah, it's a violation of the <clears throat> the laws of of experiential reality, um, you know, of cause and effect, because all of the causes at the moment of death then don't have an effect, and so there's something going on there. There's something wrong there. There's something that has to be explained there. Now, in Buddhism, we 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 only postulate one um, uh, example of this, or one instance where this is possible, and that is where no more causes are created, where the mind has given up that which causes. And that's what nirvana is. That's what's so special about this. That's why it's such an important thing. It's like, you know, we're postulating something that, that requires an explanation, that, that, that is, is an exception. Um, nirvana is not just something, oh, well, then you die and that's it. Nirvana is, is um, well, because unless you reach this very special state, death means nothing. Uh, there, there's no end to our experience, to the seeing, the hearing, the smelling, the tasting, the feeling, thinking, to becoming, to um, wandering on, and on and on and on again. Uh, and this is experientially verifiable. I mean, there are actually a lot of, uh, there's a lot of evidence to support um, this. But the point that I'm trying to make is you don't need that evidence. The evidence of out-of-body experiences, of near-death experiences, of past life memories, you don't I mean that's really interesting, and and I'm you know I, I encourage people to look at that, to say that oh yeah there 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 actually is some consistency here you know this isn't just a theory but there's something here that's pointing in that direction, but without any of that evidence, um, it it's the default to assume that the that experience continues on because. In order to some, in order to say that physical death leads to mental death, you have to enter into the theoretical realm of, of four-dimensional space-time, um, which you know, which it has seemed to be dependent on observation. Until, and you know, the, because the the theory goes that until a scientist performs an experiment, you can't even talk about the um, the result that they're going to get, or you can't even talk about the things that they're experimenting on. Um, it, it, it requires the scientists to make a decision which experiment they're going to perform, which basically, in, 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 in practical terms, means that until there is intention, 
until there is the, the focus, the mind which is paying attention to something, you can't even talk about that which it's paying attention to. This is exactly in line with the Buddha's teaching. And, and, and this is quantum physics, um, orthodox quantum physics, and the, the theory. So it's interesting to hear, to hear Stephen Hawking talk, talking like this, but it's not surprising because there are, um, there are, are quite a lot of physicists who, who side with him, and they have many theories that have gone beyond orthodox quantum physics. Now there's even string theory and so on. But, but the point being that this is all theoretical. Um, the, 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 the accepted uh, fact is that um, the only thing that's empirical is our experience, our, our, our experimentation, our observations of reality. The rest of it, all of our conclusions and so on, are all theoretical. Uh, so, I, I think that should clear some of, some of it up here, but um, just to, to, to the corollary from this, uh, having to do with um, having to do with why one should strive um, <clears throat> takes a little bit more explaining. Why one should strive for enlightenment. Um, I think there's at least a little bit of impetus out there already. There should be in the fact that if you don't strive, you know, death isn't going to bring any any change. You're going to be the same the same uh, person that you are now uh, after you die. So, uh, and more so, you're going to be going along the course of cause and effect. So, if you're a person who kills, steals, lies, cheats, uh, uh, takes drugs and alcohol, deludes yourself, and so on. Uh, guess what? The, the, the effects of that are going to become the causes for future, future effects. Uh, it's it's a, a chain. And I think this should wake people up to some of the terrible things that we do. Uh, and, you know, really, it's, it's, uh, it, it really needs to be said, the, this sort of thing, because it's, um, we're, we're violating it so terribly. We've we 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 believe that at the moment of death that's it you know ah just you know just put it off it is okay you can do a little bit of this stuff th these bad things uh thinking that you know in the end we all die you know and and just sort of rushing towards death uh, and when you die you'll 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 find some sort of relief from it well uh guess what that's a that's a theory it's based on belief it's not sustainable by the facts and it's not true uh, it, it's not the nature of reality. The nature of reality is experience that continues on and it's based on cause and effect. I mean, it makes so much sense. Um, irres, irregardless of any sort of proof or any sort of um, uh, experiment, um, any sort of um, uh, evidence to back it up, it's, uh, it's, it's so easy to see and uh, it's so easy to understand and it, it makes such sense of the universe. Something that was previously so full of questions, why and how and what and, and what is the meaning of life and so on, becomes so simple and it suddenly it makes sense. Why are some people rich? Why are some people poor? Why, why is there suffering in the world and so on and so on? Suddenly all of these questions of why are we here and what, why is there the universe suddenly become so clear. Um, so you know, from many points of view, it's it's easy to understand why this might be the case. Why we should practice uh, to to better ourselves is for a better future. This is one way of of looking at it. 
But there's something that's much more fundamental, uh, a, a reason for practicing that's much more fundamental that I'd like to explain. Uh, and the explanation is that uh, I, I use the, you would use the analogy of a sweater. When, when we, a woolen sweater, when we, um, when we begin to practice, the reason why we begin to practice is because we have suffering. Right? We have something in our lives that is causing us, um, causing us pain, causing us discomfort. So we start with that, and this is analogous to pulling on the sweater. Because you like the sweater, you think the sweater's fine, it's just this one thread that's causing problems, so you pull on it. And as you pull on, this, on the thread, the whole sweater starts to unravel. Until finally there's no, there's no sweater left. You pull and you pull and you pull and one thing leads to another and suddenly it's all gone. Proper practice of the Buddha's teaching is in this way. There is no leap of faith. There is no practice that is out of proportion to the, the uh, observations or the need to practice. You practice according to the need, according to the pain and the suffering that you have in your lives. The result is to finding more and more and more, um, you know, one, one problem leads to another, one, um, one realization leads to another. You realize that the cause of suffering is not as simple as you thought. It's not getting rid of the headaches or getting rid of the backaches or the toothaches or getting rid of this, this you know, you had a problem with a person, a relationship that ended or so on, you lost your job. It's not about just getting your job back, about getting the relationship back, about fixing this or fixing that. Once you start to really see the, the reasons why you're suffering, you want to practice more and more and your, your practice becomes much more a part of your life because you see that the, the answers are much more fundamental than you thought. Uh, until finally you realize that there is no... Um, <clears throat> there is... well, there is nothing worth clinging to. There is no stable reality in this in this universe. That uh, brings up another point that I wanted to talk about: the idea of um, Buddhist practice being suicide and the end of of a self. And this is very clearly uh, discussed in the Buddha's teaching, um, and with a very simple uh, response that uh, only for a person who postulates a self is there um, any possibility of suicide or of, of death of that self. So um, the reason why we, we are afraid of enlightenment, we're afraid of nirvana, or we, 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 we uh, think of it as something like suicide is because we postulate an existence, a, a being that exists, a life that, that, that is. Uh, in Buddhism we don't do that. In Buddhism we understand experience to be experience. We don't postulate an experiencer, a, a being, a self that experiences. I think it may have even been mentioned in your state that you, in your question, that you don't believe in a self. I'm not gonna, I'm not sure if it's in there, but someone was talking about how uh, it's only for people who believe in a self, and that's absolutely, uh, I think, a proper thing to say, uh, because the, without a, without a self, nirvana is not the death of a self because there was no self to begin with. It's a death of this concept that there was a self. Um, nirvana is simply the ending of of uh, arisings, which each arising is impermanent suffering and non-self. It's it's something that uh, in and of itself has no existence. It comes and goes. Uh, it's something that's instantaneous anyway. Uh, nirvana is simply when this doesn't happen anymore.
when there is freedom from all of this uh, phenomena, the arising of things. Uh, and that is something that comes naturally. It's something that comes through an understanding of reality and giving up of, of our attachment to things that are causing us suffering. So I hope this has helped. Um, and I think the reasons why you meditate and read suttas is because you find them wholesome and interesting. That's the best reason to do it. Uh, I think any kind of, uh, as pe some people have said in the answers already, any kind of uh, intellectual um, <clears throat> you know, argument about why you should practice and why you should, or about nirvana and some uh, hypothetical state that you haven't experienced for yourself, because the other thing about nirvana is the reason why we postulate it is because, you know, the people who have practiced have experienced it. Once you experience it, then you start talking about it. You say, yeah, there's this thing called nirvana and it's the freedom from, uh, from suffering. And so then you start to teach the, this sort of thing because, it's, uh, because you've experienced it. It's not, we don't start there and say, okay, there's nirvana and I'm going to try to reach it. You start practicing because you have suffering. And once you practice and practice, you eventually reach nirvana, and then you can say for yourself that this is the ultimate freedom from suffering. Uh, you've gone along and reduced and reduced and reduced your suffering until you reach nirvana, and at that, in that moment, there is no suffering. When you realize that, you say, that's the goal. And you strive for that, and you work harder to obtain that. Only because you've realized it, and only because you know for yourself that that's what it is. Not out of faith, not because I said it, or because the Buddha said it. So practicing just to um, uh, just to um, to better yourself is the is the best reason already. Um, as far as talking about arahants and why arahants won't commit suicide, I don't I can't think of any instance of where an arahant committed suicide. Now there may be one because it may be that an arahant says to himself, you know, I'm here I'm sick and I'm a burden on my friends and, and so on, therefore I have no reason to live. I don't know that they would actually, I've never heard where an arahant would actually commit suicide, uh, but it may, it may be the case that it's in there because I'm not, uh, um, you know, to me what an arahant, what an enlightened being would or wouldn't do is, is uh, you know, it's uh, up for quite a bit of speculation. So. Um, but mostly an arahant would not commit suicide because they're not interested in it. They don't have any attachments anymore. Um, but as for a person who hasn't become enlightened, they might commit suicide because they still have an attachment and they feel the suffering and they don't want to suffer anymore. They also have the wrong view and wrong idea that by killing themselves somehow they will attain uh, some kind of peace. Now as I hope I've uh, at least given uh, an, an interpretation of reality uh, that that points out that that's not the case. Now whether you agree with what I've said or not is uh, totally up to you. And I hope this has helped to uh, give some, some background and so shed some light on uh, a Theravada Buddhist interpretation uh, or a Theravada, Theravada Buddhist explanation of, uh, of things like rebirth and nirvana, which I think neither uh, requires um, belief, and certainly the practice of meditation doesn't require belief. It requires a little bit of faith that what you're going to gain, that you're going to gain something out of the practice in the beginning, and then once you start to practice, you gain something. So then you, your faith uh, was well rewarded and, and is no longer required.
and the more you practice, the more you gain. Uh, when you stop gaining, you can stop practicing. If if the practice somehow doesn't bring you uh, any good results, then you, you're welcome to. You're obviously uh, bound to stop. And so the only reason people really succeed in the meditation is because they continue to gain benefit. And that's really the wonderful thing about meditation practice and experiential uh, examination and, and study of reality is that the more you do it, the more benefit you gain and the more you want to do it. So I hope that helps. Uh, this has been an answer to uh, this sort of question and uh, hopefully to counteract some of the uh, the um, what I be would be believe to be the wrong understanding that is going to be created by such a famous person's uh, wrong views. So, uh, well, maybe you think I have wrong views, but uh, to each their own. So all the best. Thank you. Take care.